Hi there, folks. We're in March already, and this year is just flying by. It seems like the pace of change just keeps going at breakneck speeds with AI this and that, regulations finally cracking down on big monopolies, all the while us music producers and creatives are sitting here wondering when we're ever going to catch a break. <laughs> Streaming promised to solve the piracy problem, but it didn't. We've eroded so much of our legacy potential as we've evolved into this fractured marketplace where the big three, you know which labels I'm talking about, dictate consumer trends and habits, that there's no meat left on the bone. In this day and age, it might seem like entering the music business is only a long tail profit game. And that's what the labels want you to think. If you're not knocking on their door to feed the machine your valuable ideas, their machine stops working. That, my friends, is fear-mongering. And of course, I'm over-exaggerating to illustrate a point. Today, I really want to dive deep with this mindset thing to uncover the biggest reasons why people give up. That whole fear-mongering thing, that is a learned behavior, and you can unlearn it, but we have to discuss things about awareness if we're ever going to overcome those things. If you're one of the many creatives who struggle to find your silver lining in your gray clouds, stick around and we'll discover them together. You're listening to the Modern Producer Secrets Podcast, the premier music industry podcast for creatives who want to reach beyond the side hustle, where we show you how to apply the principles of business, mindset, and personal development to create real sustainable success from the inside out. All right, so before we jump in, I just have some honest disclosures. I want to apologize for the past episode where there was a lot of errors in the editing. Uh, that was totally on me. And the way that it goes is I am doing this all completely solo with all the pressures of working my regular job, doing mastering for clients, coaching, being a part of the Music Producers Alliance. We have the roundtable and we have a lot of events going on. So there's a lot to keep up in the community as well. I just dropped the ball. Honestly, like I'm, I'm not trying to make excuses, but it just sometimes things happen. So I apologize if that last episode sounded a little off and odd and just weird things here and there. But anyway, I just want to catch you guys up on what's been going on because obviously as we get into the year, I know you guys are probably feeling the same thing. Whether in your life you have a lot of things distracting you, your day job's taking over. For example, I just had to work on call this weekend and I was out pretty much the whole weekend taking care of clients after hours where it's not normal business hours. We have a lot to dig into today and there's no less than 16 explicit reasons why people give up on their dreams. That's exactly what we're here to discuss today. I'm absolutely positive there are millions, if not billions of reasons why we give up if we really wanted to just tally all the excuses. But what those ultimately boil down to is some facet or variation of these ones. The takeaway that I hope even just one of you is able to walk away with today, if nothing else, is that awareness is the key to overcoming whatever is holding you back. And for the vast majority of us, usually what's holding us back is us. All right. The first reason why people give up is that you expect fast results. I'm going to tell you a quick story about my friend and his rental business. He was a super great guy when I met him. He's super stoked about starting an RV all-inclusive rental service business. They deliver the trailer to the lot where you want to stay, fully furnished like a mobile Airbnb. How cool is that? I helped him to set up his website and get his business up and running. And within 12 months, he had gone from a single trailer to three trailers in service and was booked out solid for the entire year. Okay, fast forward not even a year and a half, and he's sold all but one trailer and is looking to offload that one as well. Now he's all the rage about an entirely unrelated business venture. 
After some chatting with family friends, I've come to see his personality. He's super passionate about something, so he goes all in and believes that this is his future. This is his life now. Six months later, he's done. That was never his thing. This new thing has been an interest for a while. He's just finally getting around to it. I could go so far as to say that you could just chalk this up to unrealistic expectations. What I would be curious to know is what underlying motivations drive these sudden changes in direction. Is it Usaini syndrome, where you learn about this cool new way to make money, or have this harebrained idea that sounds amazing, so when you get all into it and hype it up, only to realize, oh, this isn't what you wanted to do? Or is it that the expectation was that the money should come fast and easy? I'm willing to bet that somewhere deep down, the motivation toward a new interest was out of fear. At the end of the day, when things started getting serious and the work started to add up, he settled for excuses instead of problem-solving the challenges as they arose. For example, yeah, owning a trailer business is tough because no matter what, those are going to break down at some point. You're going to have expenses where you have to go out and repair it. That's a lot of time out of your day. Now, if most of those are being booked on the weekend, you have no weekend life because if you're working a day job to support the trailer business, that also makes it a lot tougher, right? Which is exactly what he was doing. However, the fact that he was able to scale up and take the money coming in from the profits, which were pretty substantial, I think it was like 40, 50% profit, which is high. That's very high for a business like that. Cycle that into solving another problem. He was trying to save up to buy enough of a fleet that he wouldn't have to worry about losing a chunk of change from being booked out. So you can have one out of rotation getting repairs done. You get the idea. But if you could instead invest a little bit of that toward hiring people so that you don't have to waste your time, now you're thinking like a business owner. That's how you scale up, by scaling out. And that's what he failed to do. It became a slog because he kept investing all of his time in it. He wasn't willing to hire anybody to help solve those logistics problems. Don't let this be you. Every single entrepreneur faces extreme hardships at some point in their business development. This is a natural phenomenon. But I also wonder if there may have been a deeper reason, which leads me to the next reason that people give up. You stop believing in yourself. I know I personally faced this demon multiple times in my career. Every time I was considering throwing in the towel and actually sat down with myself to reflect and be honest with myself about why I wasn't succeeding, growing, or scaling my business, I can draw a line back to this. For me, it started with the excuses of, I can't afford to advertise or market. I can't afford to travel to LA to network. I found all these limitations and accepted them as an excuse. What I was really doing was training my brain that, okay, these options are off the table, so what's left? I guess I'm going to have to figure out how to make it work with less resources, less time, less effort. Can you see the pattern? It was boxing myself in and then allowing that box to shrink smaller and smaller. If this feels too close to home, then it's a sign you're giving up on yourself. Here's the truth. Everyone struggles. Everyone is going to feel like no one believes in them, especially when you're just starting out and don't have a community for support that understands what you're striving to accomplish. If you're surrounded by friends and family that only know what it's like being an employee and not an employer, it's going to be a disconnect, especially when they're perfectly happy living their employee lifestyle. Being a musicpreneur, as I like to call it, can be socially and mentally isolating. 
unless you can find a like-minded community that understands you and can help hold you accountable to your goals. That's exactly why I've loved the community that Adam founded, and we're working so hard to grow. The Music Producers Alliance is the solution to the very serious problem in the music industry, and that's education and resources for building a music business that, quite frankly, should have existed decades ago. Unfortunately, a lot of the music industry is very sluggish to adaptation. I even know some people who wish it was like the golden age still, when the gatekeepers managed it all, which leads me to my next one. You get stuck in the past. I used to be good friends with this coworker while I was working at CompUSA, if anyone remembers that brand. Now, he was very nice and he had a big heart, but he would always ask me questions, like at weird times of day, just randomly call me out of nowhere and be like, hey, I had this question about blah, blah, blah. He wasn't afraid to get personal either. Now, we developed a somewhat one-sided bond as we grew older, but what really drove us apart was that it became clear to me, the older we got, the more he focused on trying to relive the past. He wished for the good old days when computers were barely able to run 3D games and LAN parties were a thing. He wished CDs had never gone out of style. The more he focused on the past, though, the more I realized I was the opposite. I embraced the future. I was willing to take more risks on new ideas than he was. Ultimately, we went our separate ways and our friendship dissolved slowly. But this happens with businesses too. Have you ever been to a store that still runs a paper credit processing machine? I feel like in 2023, these things should be illegal because they're technically making a carbon copy of the credit card information to process later. And have you ever heard of dumpster diving? There are some modern niceties that signify to the consumer, the customer, the client that you are a legitimate business. If you're stuck in the past about something or some way of running your business, you're putting your business in danger of failing altogether. I want to believe that you, our core audience, are smarter than this, and you're probably already pretty hip to most modern ways of conducting business, like you have a Venmo, a PayPal, a Zelle, or some way to take payments very easily from clients without your client having to pull out a checkbook. Cash can be an iffy one because obviously it's still kind of prevalent and people still prefer it, especially for small transactions. What about marketplace habits? How is the artist market changing? Are more and more people using AI-based mastering services than human beings? Well, statistics show not yet at least. But what about your analog hardware? Surely digital is just as good these days, right? My buddy Troy is a diehard analog hardware fanatic because he enjoys the tactile feel and response you get from interacting with those devices in that fashion. The truth is, for him, it required a lot of signal flow understanding that he never quite took the time to learn, and if he wanted to make a change to his setup, he often resorted to calling me up for help so that things would be plugged in properly to pass audio through them. The more flexibility he wanted, the more complicated it got, and the more I had to train him on how to make audio go from point A to point Z. Now, I'm not saying he's stuck in the past. I would never put someone down for wanting analog gear or hardware-based controls, but you should ask yourself, what true value those things are bringing to your business. Are they making things simpler or more complicated? What are you sacrificing to pursue and maintain them? These kinds of questions kept me up at night as I chased the rabbit down the proverbial hole with my audio business when I was running Neologic Studios full-time with Troy. Now, it also led me to this next point. You dwell on mistakes. By 2018, I was facing a black pit of despair and was in a dark place. 
I was finally accepting the reality of where I had led myself and depression was setting in. I've shared this part of my story multiple times on the podcast, but ultimately what fueled my exodus from the studio business world was that I just didn't enjoy it the way that I did when I first started. The fight to build a business was such an uphill battle, and the more I discovered I needed to learn, the more I dwelled on my mistakes. It's actually the dwelling on the mistakes that made it so hard to fix, repair, move on, and overcome. Human intelligence isn't perfect. We're prone to errors in thinking, and I got stuck in this loop of dwelling on my mistakes. Let me just tell you, it is very hard to get out of that loop once you're stuck in it. It's even harder to identify it when all the signs might be pointing to all these external things, because all you see are the external factors that are leading to you to not experience success, right? You don't realize, you don't think that it's you, but you have to start looking inward for the answers. Fear the future. Now, uncertainty is a fear that all humans harbor on some basic level, and there is no greater risk than starting a business in this modern age especially if you're listening to this in 2023 as it's released. AI is sweeping across every industry. It's the newest buzzword to come since streaming. This might tie in closely with the previous one about hanging on to the past, but there's a key difference. My buddy was focused on a very specific time in his life that he wanted to relive as if time stood still. That kind of preservation is a fantasy, but fearing the future is a much wider, all-encompassing fear that can paralyze you without you realizing that it has. I hate to play the name game with the boomers and millennials and Gen Xers and the Zoomers, but I don't like generalizing people into stereotypes. But for the sake of argument, a lot of older people, at least that I've noticed, avoid learning new technology. My mom, I love her, she struggles to learn new technology. My wife's mom is even worse. She talks up a storm about quitting cable TV because it's so expensive. But then when it comes time to learning smart TVs and streaming apps, she can't. She immediately gives up and demands her set-top box with her live TV. Just give her the remote. Is there something you fear specifically about the future? Are you afraid AI is going to make your job irrelevant? Is technology making performing arts, like playing instruments, less valuable? Now, these are deep questions we're going to have to sit down with ourselves and come to our own individual conclusions on. And I'm only using these examples because this is going to be unique to you and what you want to do to serve the music industry, to serve others. Maybe you don't need to play an instrument anymore because that's not valuable to your clients. But if it's valuable to you, then you have to decide that it's important to you. Nobody can decide that for you. And you can't force that decision on other people. However, if fear of the future is what's holding you back, perhaps it's not any of those I just mentioned. But the fear is that you'll be consumed by the work and won't have time to explore other things in life. Maybe it's that when you try to envision your future, you see some aspect of it that you dislike. Here's the thing about fear. It's a projection of something that hasn't happened that you are making up. If what you are projecting is something you dislike and you're not even there yet, you have the power to dictate an alternative. You can shape how your business grows so that you don't have to face that aspect of your business that you dislike. If you dislike that it's going to take 24 hours a day to run, start hiring people as you scale up. Set goals so that the money that's coming in, you have a portion of it that you can set aside and just know you're going to plan for when you reach X milestone, you have an employee 
that you can onboard immediately. You know what roles they need to handle, what processes they need to take over so that you can clear your plate for the bigger stuff. You resist change. If you haven't noticed already, there's a pattern growing. How many people do you know that you would call stubborn mules? We all know someone that is just as stubborn as a mule and refuses to change their ways despite the world giving them every opportunity to. The question here is, what are you resisting? It's much easier to diagnose when you're seeing someone else being stubborn with something. So take the exercise of analysis as if you are someone else. Are they always going on about the same problems? Do they sound like a broken record complaining about the same topic for months, years, decades even? We've all come across those social media posts on Facebook groups where producers or engineers will incessantly ask questions related to their craft. But then in the comments, the discussion disintegrates into a shouting match where the poster is focused solely on the belief that improving his craft will fix his business problems and avoiding the real problem they're facing, which is a business problem, not a production problem. Where it can get really perverse is when people lose friendships over this. This can cause friction in relationships because of the toxicity that builds up. On the outside looking in, and I speak from experience, it can cause a rift because that broken record just plays over and over. No matter how much advice I try to give, thinking I'm helping them overcoming their challenge, it's clear that they won't take the advice. They're too set in their ways. So much so that it's almost as if they enjoy the struggle. And that's what I mean by perverse. There's also the frustration of saying, you want thing X, some new thing you want to adopt, but can't seem to do it. Like saying, you know, you need a website and you want to build one, but you never pull the trigger. Again, this becomes a point of friction in relationships for the same reason. People hear the same struggle with no progress, and everybody likes to be able to experience other people's stories. We're all story-driven. And again, if we think about it from the outside looking in, how many friends or family have you heard talk about others in the same light where, oh yeah, they're always going to be that way. That's just the way they are. You give up your power. Now, what does it mean to give up your power? Well, I can tell you from the sheer volume of artists I meet who believe the record labels hold all the power, so they neglect doing anything to build their own reputation up or book gigs or do the work they need to be doing simply because they think the label should discover them and then handle all of that for them. I'll never make it in the music business. There's too many other people better connected than me. But then they don't go out and connect. Sorry, Steven. I love you. You're my friend but I have to throw you under the bus here because Pollux and Castor is a perfect, shining example of what not to do. Steven is an excellent lyricist and craftsman, but when it comes to putting the work into the business side, he gave up all of his power. When you let the world decide what to do with you, it will never do what you want it to. This is why you must take control of it. Perhaps some of you are living in a dream world that you can only hope plays out like this movie my wife and I watched recently on Disney Plus called Clouds. Then spoiler alert, this is based on a true story about Zach Sobiec. Uh, sorry if I butchered your name. This guy died in 2013 at the age of only 18 from a form of bone cancer that he was diagnosed at the age of 14 years old. If you don't know Zach's story, he was an aspiring singer and songwriter that didn't let his own mortality stop him from putting his music out there. The movie definitely spins a very fairy tale like experience where he was just playing good, and that all he had to do was put his music out there and suddenly everyone wanted to hear more. BMI signed him in the movie, but the movie must condense his lifetime into a single watchable film. 
He's played guitar since he was little. Not only his family, but his friends could see the deep-seated passion for songwriting within him that it took being diagnosed with a terminal disease to finally share with the world. Don't wait until you're dying to start living, is what Zach would say. I say don't give up your power to letting the world decide what you should be doing with your life. You believe in your weaknesses. Now, we are all human. There are going to be times where you feel on top of the world, and there are going to be times where you feel infinitesimally small. It's where we feel our smallest that we give in and accept our weaknesses as permanent. Some of us bury that feeling in our vices. Maybe drinking is your vice, or video games are your vice, or your personal alone time is your vice. I don't know, and I'm not here to judge. What I will say is that if you allow your vice to control you and medicate yourself with distractions, instead of facing the things that you feel weak at, you'll never grow. I'm just not good at X, or I'm not a marketing expert. I'm not a sound design god. Whatever negative thing you tell yourself is exactly what you're programming yourself to believe. So stop. And how do you stop? You have to catch yourself. And then flip the script. I'm not that great yet, but if I practice, I could be better. Honestly, it just comes down to recognizing when you're giving yourself negative talk and then trying to overcome it with a positive attitude. Find something to be grateful for. You can't be grateful and the opposite of grateful at the same time. It's literally impossible. If you spend more time in gratitude than in negativity, you'll start to notice that those weaknesses that you are giving power to will start to disappear. You won't see them as weaknesses, but you'll see them as opportunities for growth. You feel the world owes you something. This is perhaps the worst one yet. The sense of entitlement can lead to bitterness towards people, your business, or even yourself. And that's just not healthy. Cockiness is a sorely unwanted personality trait in just about any line of work, But the music industry is surprisingly fraught with moments where mutual agreements turn sour. Those sour moments fester into social blowouts, where people feel the need to vent to the world about the issue. You will undoubtedly have come across at least one of these in your life, and you can tell the person cares more about winning the dispute than being right. When you feel you are owed something, you leave no room for collaboration. Do you spend more time harboring resentful thoughts about lost opportunities? or leads that passed you over, than looking for new leads and opportunities to produce? This might be a good time to sit down and start uncovering where that resentment is coming from. Again, this can relate back to what I said earlier about humans having imperfect logic. We are prone to having errors in our logic, and we can get stuck in these loops. This pattern isn't that different. And once you uncover this one, you might find it ties back to one of these other points. So the thing to understand about when you have this sense of entitlement is it's going to be really hard to identify yourself, but you'll start to get clues being left behind by the people you're working with or the people you're attempting to work with or just friends or family in general. If you're willing to sit down with those criticisms and take them, it's like, okay, if I'm seeing a pattern where everybody's saying this about me, maybe it's true or maybe it could be true, at least a little bit. Now what? Let's just assume, okay, maybe they're right. What can you do now? If you can take that criticism and turn it into an opportunity to grow, 
or an opportunity to change some aspect of what you're doing, that's your clue. You fear failure more than you desire success. You are what you pay attention to. And that means if you're paying more attention to the fear of failure than the desire of success, then that's exactly what you're going to get. Again, this is an odd glitch in human thinking. And it stems from the lizard brain survival mechanisms that prevent us from taking risks. My wife and I were just talking the other day about her best friend. She has an amazing talent for organizing parties and putting together decorations. Everything from designing and planning to hosting is just something she's gifted at. She goes above and beyond. And this was just after her son's third birthday. We're coming back home, discussing it. My wife and I both agree she could turn it into a business. But the fatal flaw is that she fears failure more than success. Now, both my wife and her best friend have experienced a fair amount of luck. Not to discount their hard work getting to where they got, but they both got into a great paying job that they've been able to make a career out of straight out of college and climb the ladders in those companies fairly quick to high paying, respectable positions from an early period in their life, like early 20s. So they didn't experience a lot of hopping from job to job the way a lot of other Americans do. They're fairly sheltered from that. My wife and her share a lot in common, including that they both are firmly in the camp of needing the security of the job and industry they are in. Starting a business poses far too many risks that are just simply unwilling to make. We got into a lively debate about it, and I referred to what she was talking about as the golden handcuffs. It's hard to leave a good-paying job because of the amount of certainty you have with it. It's a steady source of income, and I pushed back. I said, but you still have desires and interests that you want to pursue. What if you looked at those challenges of starting a business as boxes to check off while you keep your 9-to-5 before you decide to leave it? I never said you had to leave it. Well, she pushed back. They have two kids. They're only getting older and we're already tired. What energy we have left we have to use to take care of the regular things at home. There's just no time. For every opportunity I pointed out, there was an excuse. For every solution, another problem to solve. This is where her and I differ. I'm more willing to at least try to take the risk. And even if I failed, I can live with myself knowing that I tried rather than suppress my interests and desires for the sake of security and living the lifestyle I currently have. And yes, I absolutely respect their positions on the debate. My wife is a nurse at a reputable hospital and dedicates her life to caring for newborns and their moms at their most critical period postpartum. She makes a great living, and she enjoys the lifestyle she already has, so I can totally understand why that's so hard to give up. She also really loves interior design and decorating, but when I poke and prod to try and get her to act on those interests, she goes back to the security position and digs her heels in deep. I propose that instead of just trying to strike out on your own with no clientele and no warm market, what about being an assistant to an interior designer? You can make up your hours that work around your 3 by 12 schedule that which you already get to make at your current job, and your responsibilities and burdens are much smaller compared to the head designer. And she warmed up to that idea much easier. Look, there's a virtually endless sea of self-help books, autobiographies, and the myriad of online publishing from successful people all over the planet. They all share one commonality. You have to take risks to be successful. They also share a common bond 
and that they focused their attention more on the outcomes they desired over the fears of failure. Some so much so that they abolished the word failure and what it represented from their entire personal reality. Now imagine if you had that power right now. If for every challenge you faced, you're able to turn a fear into a superpower. What would you do differently than you're doing right now? Can you visualize what's possible? Perhaps that was simply what you were missing all along. And my next point. You never visualize what is possible. There was this famous study that supposedly never actually took place at a famous college and had to do with a longitudinal study of students and what habits led to success. Specifically, the study supposedly predicted a fair degree of accuracy which students would become multimillionaires simply because they exhibited these core habits. One, they had clear goals. Two, they wrote them down. And three, they regularly revisited and repeatedly wrote them down. There's that repetition there. Now, there have been articles and tons of meta-research that have come as a result of that supposed study, which debunked the original ever taking place. That, however, spurred a lot of other research that does indeed correlate the falsified findings with real-world results. So, in other words, (laughs) the original never took place, but the core things that they were sharing turned out to be true. I've mentioned in many past episodes that a lot of you leave your dreams and desires very vague, such as, I want to make a living off of my music. Okay, but how? Can you see where I'm going with this? If you're just starting out and thinking about building a business for yourself in the music industry, I recommend visiting episode three, Will You Take Control, and downloading the activity sheet to answer 20 questions that will help you jumpstart your vision for the kind of business you want to build. For those of you already on your music business journey, there's always room for enhancing the vision, clarifying it, and shaping it. This is a lifelong practice, not something you do once and be done with. Episode 8 is another excellent follow-along episode with a worksheet that can help guide you on clarifying that vision. 11 Intelligent Questions to Realize Your Dreams Now, if you're really serious about building your own business in the music industry, I highly recommend considering joining the Music Producers Alliance membership or even getting the blueprint, because these tools and the community, the program that we've built, that Adam has designed, are going to be what give you the fastest track to success if you follow through. You feel you have something to lose. This one is subtle because it can absolutely become a self-fulfilling prophecy. For example, if you believe building a business is going to cost you your relationship or your friendship or insert any phobia here, then you're programming your brain to look for signs that will reinforce the belief as real. The truth is, the only cost you can truly attribute is your time. You can't lose something if you don't build it. Here's the secret. Feelings are temporary. This is why motivation is fleeting, because we are primarily emotional creatures. Emotions are primary drivers of our actions, and we have a superpower that we can change our emotions with our thoughts. And sadly, so many humans don't even know this superpower exists. I myself struggle with honing this ability, but it does exist, or else why would this podcast focus so much on mindset? When you feel you have something to lose, it causes you to go into protection mode, preservation mode, and avoid the risk of being vulnerable. Ah, vulnerability is the key to connecting with other human beings and establishing a genuine relationship. 
I know I talk a lot about my own struggles on this podcast with little emotion, but the truth is those hardships did affect me deeply. I definitely struggled with them, but the distance of time has allowed me to not feel those emotions as deeply because, well, I survived. (laughs) I've come out the other side of those ordeals wiser and stronger because of those. I've learned that I no longer have to feel guilty or ashamed or stressed out over those things. I've been able to let not just the past go, but those feelings go as well. There's this weird psychology thing that happens in the brain. When you feel an emotion based on a thought, your lizard brain doesn't know the difference between imagination and reality. So if you can trigger a motion within you that is based out of nothing that's really happening, you know, like when you hear these phobias, like people are deathly afraid of spiders, but the spiders can be harmless. It's the mind tricking itself into driving that emotional state so hard that they believe every fiber of their being that spider poses a real threat, a real danger to them just by even being in the same room. So if we have that superpower to do that, we can also train our brain to control our emotions and basically generate an emotion out of thin air, if you will. And this is where actors get a lot of their superpowers. Their ability to act and emote is coming from the ability of honing that skill, honing the thoughts that they needed to tame inside their brain to generate that emotional state that they can then emote on stage or you know, on theater or wherever they're at. Isn't that cool? Big risks will carry some emotional depth to them, and they should. Acknowledge that it's a big risk, but also realize that emotions, however deep or strong they are, are just temporary. If you're in the moment and you feel like you've got a lot to lose, suddenly remind yourself why you started on this journey and check in. Are you still committed to that goal? Do you believe in this journey? Do you believe in yourself? You overwork. This is perhaps the most common one, but it's the one that's the hardest to solve. Yeah, work is endless. There's always work to do. And the more work you get done, the more that there seems to be left. (laughs) That's the nature of business, a job, or just life in general. What I've found is the people who burn out the fastest are the ones who haven't learned how to turn it off and unplug. If you're not building in time in your day for rest, relaxation, stepping away from your big dreams and goals to recharge, you're running at red line speeds that are at risk of burning out. And I get it. The bigger your business grows, the more demands it has that need to be fulfilled, or else the whole machine stalls to a screeching halt. Yes, that's bad. No, working harder is not the answer. Your primary job as the owner of your own business is to tackle those business problems, which means you need to spend time working on your business, not just in it. For the vast majority of you solopreneurs out there, That's going to mean slowing down so you can speed up. Carve out just a couple hours at the end of the week, once a week, to work on your business. Start a journal. So just as I mentioned already, episodes three and eight have worksheets that you can follow along. Those have questions in there that help you also identify areas where you might be overworking. We've made these printable questionnaire templates so that you can regularly assess where you are, and this journal will be a pivotal tool in helping you overcome your own problems. It's that powerful. You just must start wielding it. 
and you assume your problems are unique. These people often avoid asking for help because they don't think anyone else will understand what they are going through. When I was collaborating with Troy, neither of us knew where to go to ask for help. Banks weren't going to give a couple of kids with no formal business plan a small business loan. Most banks won't even give out a loan at all to a startup with no track record and no metrics. I felt like it was in a bubble, and no amount of searching on the web was going to solve our problems. Neither of us had connections, and because we lacked connections, we felt like trying to seek them out would be an exercise in futility and a waste of time because no one would give us the time of day. It's the catch-22. We felt like no one could understand our position, and so we didn't seek anyone who did. The truth is there are tons of resources out there. You just have to start looking. It also helps if you know what you're looking for. Even if your problems are unique, there's still bound to be someone out there who can help, which also means we must be willing to ask for help. The reality is the music industry is massive, and whatever you're seeking to do isn't so unique that no one can help you. It does mean that you will have to be willing to hear the truth. When you do seek advice and you get it, you're now beholden to yourself to follow through. Perhaps this stems back to some primal fear of success. When we hold on to the assumption that our problems are unique and no one else can help us, then we can continue feeling some weird sense of comfort in believing we have reached our peak and there is no further decline. If someone gave you the answer, showed you the door, and opened it, now you have no excuses holding you back except you and the fear of what lies on the other side, may be so daunting that you might choose to stay small. But why? If you've been hiding your gifts and your talent from the world simply because you believe no one understands you, turn it into a test, a game if you will. Go out and seek one person that can help you with your dilemma, and just ask for the help. Put it out in the universe and see what the universe gives you back. You see failure as the signal to turn back. Wow, okay, we're running a little long on the tooth on these, but that's to illustrate a point. This is another one that I am curious if my friend with the RV rental company was probably experiencing. You can start to see how these all blend together as well. If you expect fast results, then it's going to affect your outcome, obviously, also. When you don't reach the level of success you desired, and you take that as a signal to turn back, this is exactly what I'm talking about. So when I was reading Think and Grow Rich, there was a specific passage that stood out to me. Dan Halpin is a splendid example of what I mean. During his college days, he was a manager of the famous 1930 National Championship Notre Dame football team when it was under the direction of the late Newt Rockney. Perhaps he was inspired by the great football coach to aim high and not mistake temporary defeat for failure. Napoleon Hill gave such a beautiful example for us to frame our struggles around. Don't mistake temporary defeat for failure. Let's follow this football analogy because I think enough of us have seen a game or two and we know the NFL exists. Whether you follow the sport or not, everyone knows that there is a season every year. Every year, just two teams make it to the Super Bowl and only one gets to be declared a winner. Does that team that was defeated say, we're done, we're never going to play again? What about all the teams that didn't even make it to the playoffs? What keeps them in the league? They know that just because they experience defeats doesn't mean the war is lost. There's always another game. There's another season to try again. Does it suck having to start all the way back at the beginning? Sure, but even that is a perception we have to overcome. No one ever starts back at ground zero. 
you're carrying all of your experiences, wisdom, and knowledge you've gained along the way to better prepare you for this new game, this new season. Let's say you just experienced success that's bumped you up into a bracket that you've never experienced before, and now you feel like it's sink or swim. Now everything feels like a struggle and you're losing bids and opportunities are passing you over left and right. You might be asking yourself, am I really cut out for this? This is the same thing. It's just that you're seeing your defeat as a sign to turn back, and that's a sore misinterpretation. It's a new level, new devil. There's always going to be a boss to beat at every level of business and in our personal lives. Until we can beat them, life is going to continue throwing the same lesson in our faces so that we can learn how to defeat them, conquer, and move on to the next boss. You feel sorry for yourself. It's oh so sad. This song is called, I am so sad. I am so very, very sad. Goes a little something like this. Thank you. If you're stuck in pity party mode, it's really hard to find any energy to move from this state into a higher state. Just like the saying that a body at rest tends to stay at rest and a body in motion tends to stay in motion, our energy states are very similar. We must overcome that emotional inertia that seeps into every facet of our lives. What might seem harmless can easily snowball into a full-blown depression or other mental health problems. So I guess my simplest advice here is to recognize it quickly so you don't get stuck in that broken record phase. Is the hardest part with any of these signs recognizing them and being more self-aware? I would argue that yes, that's the biggest struggle with anything. It's easy to stand up for what's right and wrong, but what is right and wrong? What is good and evil? Figuring out which side you stand on is the hard part. Just like identifying these behavioral patterns that we can develop is the hard part. Fighting the enemy is much easier when you know who the enemy is. So I'll just say this. If you're struggling with some aspect of business or even in your life, what is one thing all of your defeats or lost opportunities have in common? It's nearly always you. Or rather, your mindset at the time. Did you lose a potential customer during talks? At what point did they break down and turn you away? Maybe you kept talking after they already said yes, which is very easy to do. And I see a lot of beginners and seasoned sales experts alike do this from time to time. There's a pattern you just need to look for, and feeling sorry or guilty or ashamed once you realize the pattern is natural, but again, feelings are temporary. You can overcome this. You can learn and grow from it. This doesn't have to be permanent, but you have to be willing to face the facts and commit to making the changes that it takes to overcome those behavioral patterns. Should I go so far as to say, just assume behind every problem, it's you? <laughs> what if you did? What would you change right now? It's time to retrain your brain. The famous Wayne Gretzky said that he attributed his successful career to going to where the puck was going to be. Now think about that for a second. Wayne just gave away his secret sauce. This meant he was visualizing in his head first and then executing from his vision. That's a metaphor, but it applies nonetheless. If you want to overcome the inevitable I quit, I give up pattern that you might be developing right now in your music career, after discussing the most common 16 reasons we just discussed, it starts with getting clear on your vision of where you want to be and then develop your roadmap for how you're going to get there. Now, I always refer to the concept of a GPS. We need two sets of coordinates, right? 
you type in your destination, and then it wants to know where you are currently to provide you with the optimal route. Vision building needs the same set of inputs. You can't build a vision of this global record label empire or whatever your vision is if you neglect to build it from your current position and just assume that the riches and resources are going to magically come to you. You have to take in your current situation, environment, and resources you have and start there. When Wayne Gretzky said that he just focused on putting himself where the puck was going to be, it means that he got good at taking in the moment and understanding the puck's trajectory in relation to where he was currently at, and then took action to get where the puck was going to be as optimally as he could. That included reading the other teammates, opponents, and their positions on the ice, where they were going, taking in all of that data as he moved toward his final position. You must get good at your business by also paying attention to your environment, resources, and goals. The industry doesn't operate in a vacuum, and neither should you. Where I think the biggest struggle lies is in managing our time effectively between these two modes or dimensions that we have to master, building and executing. In the mini-series The Defiant Ones, an HBO special, Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre were referred to by Eminem as the innovator and the levitator. In the business world, it might go by different terms, and I've heard people say visionary and executioner, whatever you want to call it. These dynamic duos in business, these titans, specialized in just one aspect of something. That when they collaborated together, resulted in this major thing. Beats by Dre, being bought by Apple, was huge. It made history and shifted an entire culture. When you're just starting out and you feel like you have no one and nothing, you're going to have to wear both of these hats. Both will require your fullest attention and will feel like you need a clone of yourself just to manage. If you can wear that building hat just enough to tackle the biggest, most important things in your business that keeps the business moving forward, while also staying just good enough at the execution part, you won't stagnate. Perhaps the most beautiful mindset I've come to adopt and am implementing in my business now is framing my problems and challenges around the idea that it's all just a formula. It's an equation. If I failed to hit a goal, failed to reach a milestone, or am seeing an issue that resulted in a loss of some sort, it doesn't have to be a complete failure. It's not a sign to give up, turn back with my tail tucked between my legs. <laughs> I could feel sorry for myself or any number of things we just discussed, but it's so much more freeing. When I can say, you know what? I learned something here. It's just math. Let me adjust the equation, knowing what I know now, and try again. I'm not going to do the exact same thing. I do need to change something, hence needing time to focus on building and designing and clarifying my vision. But then I can just try again, as in executing the business. Thank you so much for sticking around to the end of this episode. This was an advice buffet, so obviously not everything in this episode may be applicable to your situation, but hopefully one thing did. If you're finding this podcast helpful in any way, the best way that you can help others like yourself is to rate and review the podcast in your favorite podcast app. The social proof can make or break someone else's potentially passing on a life-changing thing in their own career simply because they didn't know if this was meant for them or not. Finally, this podcast is brought to you by the Music Producers Alliance the premier online community and professional development platform exclusively for music producers that provides learning resources, networking opportunities, and business mentoring. If you're ready to learn how to turn your home studio into a profitable business and consistently get high-paying projects with serious artists, 
head over to musicproducersalliance.com forward slash apply to book a free 30-minute strategy session to find out how we can help.